It's Terry from No Crumbs Left, and I'm so excited to be sitting across from Coley. It's sort of like, you know, Cher has one name. You know, there are people where it's like Diana. Uh, Coley. Hi, Coley. Hi. Hi. I'm very excited to be here. I appreciate that you know the one name. That the is, name. that's yeah. all I need. That's it. That's all I need. Yeah. And people like you, and they like that one name. I hope. <laughs> I hope. Um, I will say that I've... Uh, Coley for me has been like a, a process of coming into it. Um, what I is have, your longer name? Yeah, yeah. I am actually officially in, by the government, Dr. Carrie Coley Murchison. Um, and I'm named after my grandmother. And Carrie was something that I was called for most of my life, at least all of my family, right? But um, as I grew up and started doing like poetry and writing things and playing sports, it's, it's like passed down the Coley from my dad and also... It just feels right for me, you know? There's something, I think, actually, that I, I don't know that I've said to people before this, that I'm not really sure I want everybody, like, calling me my grandmother's name just because she was so sacred to me and she's not here anymore. So I'm just like, Coley is fine. I love that. I think that there's something really lovely yeah. about that, that you, you're keeping that sacred that's, you know, special for you. And, yeah. Yeah. And people within the family call you. What? They still call me Carrie. They call me Elsie. Mm -hmm. My dad calls me baby girl. Uh, you know, they call me whatever they okay. feel like. But there was our grandmother. I say our now I'm speaking on behalf of all of my cousins. But my it. grandmother was just such a force and also like literally the central figure of our family. And I remember at her funeral feeling so at peace and so calm when for so many others it was like what felt like the beginning of the end. And right. so it's like she's just been, she's, you know, that Carrie part is like, it's mine now. She's with me. <laughs> and Well, why do you think you felt so calm when others didn't? Well, I think that I've had enough time with her to make my own peace, right? We had a kind of shaky relationship early on, as with all of my family members, which is something else that we can continue to talk about. But I think... Um, as she got older, folks also had their own kind of like, I don't know, like, am I going to lose her? And what does it mean when she's gone? Or like, like, where will I fit in the family when she's not like the core of it? And I was away at grad school, but she and I still like talked every day. And she was still her old like, just... Well, I don't think my grandmother was mean, but she was she was very to the point. I will say that. Um, and so by the time I knew um, that she was going to leave us. Right. My aunt had died a year before. She was also like the core figure for my grandmother. I think that people can choose to kind of be like, I don't want to be here anymore. And when my aunt passed, my grandmother. Obviously, in many ways, like in terms of like how much she ate, how much she slept, all the things kind of was like ready to go also. And so I think we had already started making our peace. And when she passed, other folks maybe had not met that yet and also had different relationships to her, you know. So your mother passing might feel different than your grandmother passing, of course. No, and I get that. I think, you know, certainly my mother passing was devastating for me. But also I felt like there wasn't a moment that we didn't say the things that we needed to say. Yeah, yeah. You know, there wasn't anything. I remember like six months before she died saying – Let's just say everything now today yeah. so that we don't have this moment where we where we hmm. where we don't say it, you know, and let's just say it all. So there isn't this last moment. And, you know, what we knew is that we really we really had said it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that I'm probably the more expressive being in our family. Um, our 
I think that what you're bringing up is probably something that they didn't know, um, that they had not said all the things or they had not expressed all of the feelings. And we just had already done it. We'd already had that moment. So when you say Dr. Carrie Coley, what, tell me about that. What does that mean? Yeah. So I have spent eight years um, in an English PhD program and um, most of my formal education is in English. Um, I went to Hampton University and I studied English arts and creative writing. And so that's when I really kind of developed uh, what had always been there as like, I'm a writer, I'm a storyteller. Um, When I went to grad school, (laughs) that was a very different experience in terms of um, taking what was just like a joy and a passion um, and kind of like, you know, my gift, like what, what I believe like God gives all of us and then applying just like real rigorous <laughs> critical thinking skills to that. Um, so I made it out, you know, not everybody does. <laughs> uh, I made it out and they gave me all of the letters. Um, and I, I still use that in my work. I just don't work in the academy. So I did teach for eight years um, during the process, but now most of my teaching is outside of of the academy and I think all of my dissertation advisors and anybody that had worked with me probably would have known this is the work I would be doing as opposed to just sitting inside of like the academic space um but I still think it's all learning and teaching so uh, my wife and I run a business together called Holy Brands and Holy Brands exists as a think tank and an education production company and so for that Um, what we spend most of our time doing is dreaming up kind of like educational experiences um, that are actually like attractive (laughs) things that you want to do, things that um, can kind of teach us and bring us together, but not necessarily feel like school. So Holly spends all of her time uh, thinking about like, what does school look like for older adults? Or like, what is our learning process? Like, how are we keeping ourselves educated? Not just for like, um, subject things. It's not like math or whatever, right? But we're thinking about like, well, what does it look like to be people who are existing in like a very fast expanding global world where people work differently, right? right. Like right. Um, where like our our jobs are literally quite made up sometimes. Um, and I am thinking about, well, how do we do that? But also how do we help other people who are also doing that communicate that? How do we bring us together in forums? How do we problem solve around um, literally like the issues of how we work and how we function and create whatever kind of world that we're trying to create for for the future that I would hope to be here for, or at least my kids in some way. <laughs> well, I love that. So it's sort of like the classroom of life. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah. So there is um, a thing called school of life that Holly is quite obsessed with. Um, But it's, I think we're taking that kind of like, um, for us, all of our, all of our background, right, is in, um, Holly's got like 20 plus years of literally communications experience, like broadcasting. She was that kid in debate, like she literally teaches people speech writing and, um, and public speaking and all these things. But for us, I think we could kind of get along as as individuals with the things that people didn't or thought we didn't need right like soft skills was a thing that was very separate from going to your office and doing your job every day and I think 
we just know that soft skills are actually the things we you all know this all the time what is right? soft skills? like what exactly yeah. well that's yeah. a good thing okay. like what is yeah. soft skills but so when most people talk about soft skills what they're talking about like are actually how we communicate so our interpersonal communication um being able to read a room, being able to kind of understand um, or have a kind of emotional intelligence. Um, and, and then literally it comes down to like things like communication, marketing sometimes when you're not talking about just the numbers, but like how people feel or how you're engaging with them. We just kind of wrap all of that up in soft skills. And folks are like, come teach us this thing. And I think for us, we're like, actually... Um, these these soft skills are actually incredibly like necessary for all of the businesses, right? Because if you think of yourself as an entrepreneur in some sorts, like even for you, right? Right. There is a full business around. I want to say, you know, we can think of it as like cooking skills, but this is like your life, right? right. And and people connect to that, but how do you communicate that, right. right? Like how, one, how do you communicate it? But then what are like the tangible things that you actually have to do on a daily basis when you connect with brands or you, um, I don't know, even answer just lead your team. Yeah, yeah. answer emails. Answer 300 yes. direct messages, yes. for example. What are your soft skills, Terry? <laughs> yeah. But those are core, right? right. To your, like, yes. what would happen if mm-hmm. all of a sudden you were just terrible to people right. in DMs? Right. Or if right. any of... And for instance, like if any of the team members all of a sudden didn't have that kind of like critical thinking skills to handle problems mm-hmm. or, yeah, all of the things that we kind of don't think about, we really love to think about over at Holy Brands. And we're like, how can we build these skills? Because I do think we need people that are even faster thinkers, that are even better problem solvers, that are actually like empathetic and feeling for, you know, to deal with all the things that are happening now, but also to deal with what I think is coming in the future. And I actually met you because of our mutual association with Whole30, and we've gotten to work together because you've been working with the coaches. And um, so tell me a little bit, like, what are you doing for Whole30? Wow. So I am the director of equity and inclusion for Whole30. Um, And I think my larger title is actually diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we use those um, three specific words because we are intending to diversify not just our audience, but the actual business, right? Like the folks who work here, the coaches, we want to make sure that we have lots of different kinds of folks um, learning about and knowing about Whole30. And we want those folks to feel like there's some sort of equity and parity within the space that we're creating there. Um, because we are about practicing inclusion, right? And for us, so much of that means not necessarily just saying like, hey, I have um, like a black person and an Asian person and we have like one person from Hawaii and one person from North Carolina because it's not necessarily just about the difference, but it's about really celebrating and really incorporating um, all of the skill sets and all of the different kinds of knowledges that come from that difference into what we're trying to build moving forward. And I think for for a company, I'm, I'm like here doing this with Whole30 because I do care about food and wellness and like that as an industry. But for a company that's as impactful as Whole30 is, I think we've got such potential for like really changing how people feel in the food and wellness industry. And how do you do that? How do you affect that change? I mean, that is a, yeah, that's yeah. a tall order. That's it a, is. You see? That's, that's a month-long podcast. I got job but, security. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it. Um, 
Okay, so we start with tangible goals. And that looks different for every organization. But for us, that's literally about deciding, okay, we have a certain number of people on our team and we know we're going to grow within the next year. But when we get to, say, 25 people or 35 people, what do we want the group to what do we want that group composition to look like, right? And that doesn't mean just race or gender. We're thinking about all kinds of difference within our team. So we're thinking about class. We're thinking about education. We're thinking about literally geography, like um, different kinds of ability. And I think the, the conversation that I've been having with the team, because I will say they had kind of done their own work, right? And they had established some goals that they wanted for themselves before they even came to find me. So that's been useful. And I, the work that I do with them on any given day ranges from making sure that we're still like building in what we would hope to be kind of um, just a really well-communicated set of expectations and desires and um, a a kind of guiding light for us to have moving forward. And that's part of the job. And then the other part is literally talking to the coaches or kind of like going back and forth. If we have um, any issues around like comms uh, and I say comms, but I'm meaning like any of our digital platforms, do we have questions about like Melissa's podcast? We work through ideas Um, for us. It's really trying to, not necessarily undo, but really evaluate everything that we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And some of the questions that we're asking are like, okay, we're about to launch this new thing. Well, who's it for? And why is it for them? And are there people that it should be for that we're not communicating it to? Like who might not feel included in this? Have we done as much as possible to reach as many people as possible? And of course, that's not for like every single um, aspect because not everything is for everybody. But I think in terms of getting people to know and understand Whole30 as a brand and the kind of um, impact that we want to make in terms of actually helping people change their relationships to food, that's like, okay, how far can we get this? And, and, and also thinking about, well, why do the people who don't know about Whole30 not know about Whole30? So it sounds like, you know, you've got some great critical thinking skills, but you're broadening people's thinking out, you know? Yeah. But yeah. let me ask you a question. When you say the word equity, I yeah. know diversity, I know inclusion. Yeah. What does building equity mean? Yeah. So for us at Whole30, we're thinking about equity um, in a way that kind of comes out of a lot of social justice conversations. And... When folks in larger social justice movements are talking about equity, they're talking about what it looks like in terms of fairness, particularly um, when we're discussing kind of historical systemic barriers, right? So, for instance, us thinking about equity, just if we say, like, if we launch a new, like, Whole30-approved partner. So, for us, we would now have to ask questions around, like, okay, well who is this partner and who owns this company or like as we bring on new folks. Right. And also let's say that it fits all of our criteria and we love the company and we bring them on. We're like, well, what stores are they in and who has access to these stores? And if we want even more folks to know about it, 
are there things that we can talk to um, in terms of like them or talk with them about in terms of like where their distribution is or like how can we um, be even more instrumental in helping more people find out about this brand or if it just comes down to like our Whole30 community that isn't attached to any of the partners or brands, et cetera, we're thinking about like, okay, well, some of our community live in really rural parts of the country and they don't have access to a Whole Foods or even like our Walmart meals or anything like that. So now the even larger job is like, okay, but like, can we coalition build? And uh, can we, like, what are their barriers to actually like becoming involved with Whole30? And are there any ways that we can help eliminate those systemic barriers and just create a bit more parity between them and anybody else that might want to have a relationship to or with Whole30 as a brand? And how did you go from, it sounded kind of like English major to the work you're doing? Yeah. So (laughs) I was an English major, but I think any of my teachers would... um, Any of my English teachers would probably argue that I still thought that I was somewhere in the political science department, right? So I did go into college thinking that I was going to be a political science major. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, And as much as I love reading literature, I really just love learning history, right? And I love... Um, I think my love for literature out actually comes out of understanding that narratives kind of shape the world that we're in and they shape our understanding of the world and how we see ourselves in that world. So I think that's kind of um, what's taken me into the communications and the marketing route. But then I just, okay, a way back into this is thinking about decisions that I've made in terms of what I was doing with those English skills. And so I had launched Kafra and I was doing work for folks who were small businesses. We had decided that we were really trying to help historically marginalized folks figure out better ways to communicate whatever um, ideas and projects that they had to the world. And then, you know, we kept growing the company. And so that turned into helping nonprofits or larger corporations. And we made a decision that in order to still kind of fit with our original audience and in order to fund the the kinds of work that we were trying to do with those audiences who couldn't necessarily afford us, that we were going to start working with other companies who were trying to build towards an equitable future. So that's the thing that was really like driving our mission. Um, And Going into that, um, finding those clients just lended me to doing more work there. And I think it's the fact that, yes, I have this kind of like liberal arts degree, but I've never been really concerned with like limiting myself to just saying like, I'm going to be teaching Mm -hmm. or I'm only going to do comms work. Um, And so I've just kind of said yes to larger and bigger projects. And I was working with other folks um, who were kind of doing work that Whole30 was interested in doing when they started looking for someone for this position. And, you know, then we started having some conversations. But I think my my, um, background has always been interested in just thinking about, like, how could we create change? And I do know that a lot of that has to do with my upbringing. Um, I grew up in the South by most people's standards, fairly, like, 
economically underprivileged, I would think. Um, yet my mom somehow, and I still don't know how she did it, and I say this all the time, like always had me in the best schools and always tried to have um, – always tried to give me experiences outside of what would have just been my everyday experience. And so I think that that kind of like dichotomy with like, okay, this is like what everyday life is, but like here is what I think I could possibly have helped me to kind of grow and expand my barriers. And and I think I just want that for everybody else all the time. So my work is like, I have this particular set of skills. Like I know that I have this set of intelligences that helps me like ask questions and like help folks broaden and expand whatever it is they're doing. And now I'm just like, how many things can I put that towards so that I can really create this future that I'm trying to get to? And what do you think, like, tell me about your mom. What led her there? You know, I think my mom is honestly, you know, I, I do believe that some folks just come into the world like as a gift right and my mom is just she's her gift she's just she is fire like she's feisty like that's her energy she's like no nonsense and when it comes to me it's just like she I don't know she is I don't have a word for it, but I am like her. It's like there is nothing that like she would not do for me. Yeah. And so that kind of um, that kind of that kind of like love in action, you know, because it hasn't always been like real like emotional undertakings, because as you can imagine, as you know, like, you know, mothering takes all kinds of tolls. And my Absolutely. mom was really yeah. young when she had me. Well, not really young, but fairly young. <laughs> um went into, you know, she started out doing this thing with my dad, but my dad's been an addict uh, on and off for most of my life. And I think she recognized very early that it was like, I've got to do this on my own yeah. and and I'm going to put everything in it. And I think being able to see that and feel that from her also taught me that kind of like commitment and dedication, like in action for better or worse, <laughs> because right. folks are always like, wow, you will just like go to the limit. And I see that with her and I'm like, mom, you know, you don't have to do that extra thing for that part. Like you don't, you don't have to put yourself out there in that way. So I think both of us are still learning our own boundaries around that. But I do know that that kind of like championing for other people has to like come from her because I just, well, her and my grandmother, I do think, but they're separate family. I love that. Well, champion other people is, yeah. you know, is there anything more important? And I resonate with that. My yeah. mother was a person who championed people all the time. And even at No Crumbs Left, the reality is, you know, those 300 people, 300,000 people following on Instagram, I am definitely their champion also. So you and I are lucky because we've been taught by some of the best. Yeah, I feel that. I had a moment of feeling so... um Seen, but that moment wasn't for me. It was when um, we were at your book signing and the moms were there and they stood up and sang. And that was like a, I think that was the first moment that I realized you've been in Chicago, like you have roots yes. in Chicago. Yeah. And I, I felt seen because that's still the kind of energy that I have with my mom and her friends. And I was like, wow, I want to know so much more about this. Was that like... Is that that feeling 
Do you feel like they are also kind of your champions or you're working for them in the same way? Because that seemed like such extended mother energy. Well, you know, I'm a girl that loves mother. I love mother energy. I celebrate my own mom gone 19 years. Um, these women were my mom's, you know, best friends. They mm-hmm. had an all-girls uh, hillbilly band, you know, for uh, years and years and years and years. I mean, they're they're in their 80s. Um, I've since I was eight years old, we've had a mother-daughter luncheon that I still go to. You know, the the, oh the second uh, Saturday in December. You know, for for many years, and um, you know, you are my sunshine is a song that my mom always sang and her band sang. And these women, they're musicians. They just they would take this trip every year and they would just break into song wherever they go. Um, th- their group took many different forms, but this l- last form, they used to be the patent pending 13804. They're now the ukuleles, and they teach, you know, music all over and, and all of that. And many of them, of course, are retired now. But recently I was somewhere and they sang the song, You Are My Sunshine. I did a story about it. And I was like, essentially, this, these are my people. This is who I am. And, and, and I just thought people would be like, why is she showing that? Well, what happened was, I just got like a thousand messages of like, this is what that song means to me. This is what this song is for me. People resonated with these women championing me, loving me, celebrating me. And they were like so excited about the book and having me sign it. And they all showed up with their daughters. So there were like three rows of them. And then they, you know, stood up and they sang that song, which so deeply resonates. And like, you know, somebody said, they were the stars of the show. Yeah. I was crying. The people behind me were crying. The people in front of me were crying. So I shared it on yeah. my Instagram story, and oh, there were people no, sending yes. tears in my Instagram. I thought that was so good because I think what I've also noticed – so I was watching this show today, and it had um, a really interesting quote that was like the problem with – I suppose our generation or whatever new generation is coming along is that there's this like consistent like oversharing with no boundaries. And she calls it a pandemic of overcommunication so that intimacy is completely lost. And I realized that what I was feeling in that moment when the moms were singing was kind of like that same feeling. I, so I've been sharing so much from my mom's wedding the past couple of Which weeks. Which I've loved. Yes. I and loved people it. responded the same way. But I think it's because that's like a moment of like actual real life, right? Yes, that's not like right. I'm trying to overshare. I'm trying right. to do this thing. Like there's no reason that people should care about our moms or our right. aunts or anybody singing these songs. But that reminds us that like we have real full rich lives and relationship outside of like anything that is the internet or the following. And that in itself is a whole real life. But I do think that's that's what's so attractive. I, I know that's also like why I still follow you. I think that even in the friendship that we're developing, it's like, well, I don't know where we would have met, like on the street or like why we would be hanging out with each other. But what I love is how real you are. I feel like what I'm getting from you is like, this is Terry and this is Terry and it's going to keep being Terry. And I'm so committed to like, here's Coley. You're going to get me like in the bed. You're going to get me when I'm dressed. You know what I mean? And I think people appreciate that. Yeah, I think, I hope. People appreciate that and that they, that's what we want more of. I do. I do think that it's certainly the feedback that I get, that that really it is what resonates. I mean, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, a lot of times <laughs> I'm, I'm there and my hair is gnarled and I'm always like, looks like I went through brambles today. You know, when I do have these really, really strong roots in Chicago, my kids have 
moved to Los Angeles and they're like, we well, you should move here. But the reality is I'm like, this is my home. You're like, you're always welcome here. Mm-hmm. But I am never going to move to Los Angeles because Chicago is really my home. Now it gets to be winter, you know, and it's like, you're like, I'm crazy. What am I doing here? How can I get out of here? And I'd like to create in my life. I'd like to lean into and have a desire to create yeah. uh, being gone maybe in February or February and March, you know, but I, you know, Chicago's my home. Do you, I know that you grew up in the South. Tell me about your family traditions. Yeah. Oh, Terry. (laughs) Most of my family traditions, I didn't realize until I was older, actually, are centered around food. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so they're, they're kind of, I don't know. It's not that I have two different families, but because my mom's side is Liberian and so Liberian and like, hardcore like we're staying with all of our Liberian traditions I had that and this very like southern upbringing on my dad's side because you know my grandfather's from South Carolina and my family's been in literally in the city that I live in now for four generations in North Carolina four plus a very long history so I think what I'm recognizing as parallels between the two is that there's always always some like shining matriarch that's getting it done and I think we just like underestimate that in everyone's yes, lives I think so. but um always some huge matriarch always like just uh especially on my mom's side a kind of like caretaking that just is you know and and maybe that's that's actually that kind of link that I see so when I'm talking about my grandmother I'm always talking about my dad's mother um but my mom is so much like my grandmother in so many ways. And she met her when she was like 23. So I think in some ways she was also kind of raised by her. Um, and there's there's just such a connection of like, do you need something? <laughs> you didn't have to ask me about it. I see you, right? Mm-hmm. I know you. I, I know what you're experiencing and I'm going to do whatever it is to take care of you. But then in terms of like holidays... It's for whatever reason, I'm sure other people have their families, but it's still everybody at our house, right? It's like everybody at my grandmother's house for Christmas. It was. It was everybody at my aunt's house for uh, New Year's Day brunch, which is still a thing for me that I've taken on. Um, With my mom, it's just a kind of like constant, like our tradition is a constant sense of gathering. You could go over my mom's house, like anybody who's coming to North Carolina, you know they're going to be in the guest room now, which is actually my bedroom turned into a guest room. Um, My mom's always going to have food. It's that's actually kind of like a Liberian thing. It's just like there is always food, like just in case somebody could have been coming. So I think for for me now, it's. I don't know. I didn't realize until I got older and moved away, especially when I was in California, Um, because the crowd that I was with, there's just like such a shifting and like we don't do the traditional holidays and we want to critique and interrogate everything, which, of course, I want to do. But also, like, sometimes I really just want to say, like, hey, y'all, we're having New Year's Day brunch. (laughs) We're going to come over. We're all going to talk about what we want. Um, We have a little tradition of putting like um. I don't know, I guess it's a wish, but more of like an intention for like whatever the year is. We're going to put them in the straw, you know, in June. I'm going to text you about whatever your intention was to talk about whether it's happened. And I think for me, I get that everything's fast moving and we're like doing so much more and like our family isn't necessarily structured in the same way. 
but that's just so much. I think that's the part of my grandmother that I'm that I still want to have, um, which has actually been kind of not difficult, but a learning experience because Holly and I have very different upbringings in terms of how um, how often we see our families, how obsessive our families are over us. So my parents call me like twice a day every day, uh, which I've talked about with you. And I think Holly's had a different kind of like more solo experience in her upbringing and her parenting of herself. And when we first moved to North Carolina, because we were still looking um, for like where we would settle, we thought we were moving somewhere else. So we were staying with my mom and like traveling a lot. And even just like the tiniest things, and this is getting us away from tradition, but still like in our this caretaking vein, the tiniest things that my mom would do that I like love, I'm like, oh, I didn't do the laundry. Mom took care of it. Or like Holly's like, why is your mom touching her laundry? Like what is happening? But you you can see that that, that kind of um, overexertion mm-hmm. of the mothering and the caretaking as like a real like line of tradition. She's like settling into now and I just I don't know I still want that I want folks to be able to feel um especially now that Holly and I are married and my mom is so in love with Holly and we're we that's like a new kind of family that would have never been okay when I was younger I still want to be able to have like that I want folks to know that like they can come home to me and Holly as well Mm -hmm. right like if my mom is not going to do the thing we're like 10 minutes away from my mom. Just like, we are still your family. I love that. When my mom died, you know, she really was the matriarch of our family. Yeah. And it was just so, you know, we, we we gathered around my mom. We, you know, we were her orbit. We just gathered around mm. her. So when my mom left, it was like, oh, how and do, and figuring that out and restructuring, it actually takes a very long time. Yeah. You know, um, and we're still really figuring. She's gone 19 years, you know, yeah. we're still figuring out because when you have that kind of matriarch, it's it's hard to... You know, it's hard to replace that. Yeah. So I've loved having you here so much. You know, in closing, I want to ask, in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion, if people are like, you know, I want to be on board, but I don't even know what that means. What are Do you have some simple steps that people can begin to do or think about that can create change? Yeah. So my, my friend Erica Hart has this thing that she frequently posts um, that's like the easiest way to know whether you're building towards equity, and I'm I'm paraphrasing the words here, but is basically to give up power and not tell anyone you did it. And I think that sounds really large, um, but as a like individual person, I think we can easily just do a scan of like where are the places that we have power during the day, where are the places where there are others who have like less power and perhaps we haven't thought about what it might feel like to be them. And is there any way that we could be a part of doing something that might further empower that person? Right. So um, for instance, I am now in divinity school and I'm one of the older folks in our program because it's a master's program. And I I remember what it felt like being the baby in my PhD program when I was in there. And so there's like an active um, moment in class now where I know that I'm super talkative like now and I get into it and I'm like, oh, I can actually just like not say anything in this moment and let someone else speak or I can... Um, 
I don't know, I'll hear folks like mumble under their breath or something. And I'm like, that's a great idea. You should say that out loud. And it's very simple. But I think it's 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 a thing that we're not necessarily thinking about, like, oh, where could I give up power? And I, I think before that step, you have to acknowledge with yourself that, like, there is enough for all of us. Right. I like that. Well, thank you. I mean, that is something that I think each of us can do. And, yeah. I, you know, it feels like we can tackle it. Yeah, <laughs> I think we can tackle it. So where do people find you? Because I know they're going to want to come find you. Yeah, the easiest way to find me is actually on Instagram at Coley. So it's K-H-O-L-I. And when you find me on Instagram, that leads you to all the links that send you everywhere else for my work. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. I was delighted not only to have you here this time, but on the book tour. Um, And I like all the ways we keep, you know, meeting each other and knowing each other. Um, Thanks, you guys. It's Terry at No Crumbs Left signing off. Come find me on Instagram, on Facebook, on the blog. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, absolutely do. And I hope you're having a great day.